Amen. My name is Greg. I'm the Youth and Children's Director here at Sunrise. And um, I am just so grateful to be here with you guys today, this morning. And I want to take this opportunity to also dismiss our children, uh, children for children worship. That's for ages three years old up to fifth grade. Uh, they're going to go and have a great time today learning more about God and studying his word. So it's just a great time. And also we have our nursery available for anyone who's uh, just born to three years old, basically. So uh, that is also available to you parents. And uh, I just want to remind everyone, too, uh, for the moms out there that was really little ones, that we do have the Mommy and Me room uh, right around the corner that's available to you. Um, we're slowly improving that. So if you have any suggestions on things we should add, feel free to talk to me. And eventually, a couple months later, when I, <laughs> I remember, I'll get around to it. <laughs> and feel free to nag me. Uh, my wife knows that she has to, and so I give you permission to do that as well. Um, so those are all available to you guys. So uh, I'm just looking forward to uh, just going through our series about faith-filled obedience and what that looks like. How do we do that? What is, does that just mean we work harder? or how, What does that all mean? And so... Uh, I really hope that you're enjoying this series as we kind of tackle these different things, these different items that sometimes get in our way. And so today, as you guys see, we're going to be tackling the idol of approval. And so uh, we're going to be jumping into that. And, you know, we live in such an interesting age. Um, these devices are so powerful. You know, we can have access to so much, so much information, so much uh, stuff coming our way, and yet also so much connectivity, so much way that where I can get on this phone and I can actually video call my family who live in Pennsylvania across the nation, and I can connect with them in real time and high definition, and we can just have a conversation. You know, my um, son just had a birthday, and uh, he was doing that. You know, he was connecting with all his grandparents and family and all that stuff, and it just kind of blew me away of just like, how we can just live this way now. We have this connectivity. And I was thinking more about it, you know, with social media out there, it's amazing that I can have uh, so many people be connected to so many people, uh, people I actually don't see uh, hardly ever, you know, high school friends from uh, a long time ago. Uh, we won't talk about how long ago, but a long time ago that I haven't spoke to for a long time, but yet I see pictures of their kids. I see how they're doing. Uh, most importantly, I see when they're selling things, right? Uh, you know, it's just the, that ability to stay connected to one another is amazing and a blessing. So, like with any new power, with any new technology, uh, it has some great benefits, but there's also some negative sides to it as well. And so when it comes to social media, it's, it's quite interesting. There's so many studies coming out. Uh, there's like a new one every month that's looking at the effects of social media on our brains. And what they're learning and that they're kind of rediscovering, it seems like every article is pretty similar, but they're just discovering how deep it goes, is, is the like button. Uh, you know, how powerful that is. When someone posts something online and they get a lot of likes, it, it sets off their endorphins, right? It, it, they get a big hit of approval and, and, and energy and happiness, and, and they get so excited and everything's going good in life. It just feels good. And then after a while, they'll notice there's a trail off, like any kind of drug in a sense, where all of a sudden you come down from that high and there's a great low. It's actually a lower valley than where you were when you first started. And so they're talking about how these have these peaks and valleys of social media. 
and how that affects our brains and especially affects the brains of teenagers. Uh, When you are building your life, when you're starting to figure out what's good and you want to be a part of a community, which it feels like you are when you're on social media, uh, you can feel this sense of approval. And see, it's natural for us to want to be a part of a community, to be connected to one another. God himself created us in that way. We are his image bearers. And God himself is community. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are three unique people. They're three unique beings more so. Uh, but they are one God. They are Chad, as the Bible puts it. And they are one. And so there's unique persons, but yet one together. They are community. They're a perfect community together. And so we are built to be like God. We are meant to be in community, and we highlight God all the more when we are in community with one another. And so community is how we're built. And so it's natural that social media that gives us this promise of community would be something that we'd be drawn to. And so what they're seeing is that this kind of gives you, in a sense, a false community. And it tells us that these things people like, they approve of, and I want to do more of that, whatever is getting the most likes. Now, I'm not here just to, like, old man bash on social media, right? Um, I don't use it very much, but, you know, uh, if you use that, that's awesome. That's cool for your life. It's just like any tool. We just need to use it with responsibility and, and all of that. But this idea of wanting to have other people's approval is not new. It looks new because it's on a phone now. But if you flash back 20 years when I was, uh, you know, growing up, it, w- it would look quite a bit different. It was you wanted to be a part of the popular kids, right? And that's what approval looked like, that you were, you know, in the new car, that you were, had the, the new uh, clothes, that you had the right kind of clothes. I remember, you know, I had like three shirts growing up, and I just kind of rotated them because they had Hurley on them. And, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money, but, you know, I wanted the, the stuff I wore to have name brand stuff, right? And, and that's just, I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be accepted. And that was the idea, and you flash for, back even further, and it was something else. It was wanting to have the right kind of family, wanting to have the right kind of job, wanting to have the approval of the church. It has looked always different, but it's always been this idea of we want this outside approval on our lives. And when we do that, we run into some issues. We run into issues that when we base our value on other people, it leaves us in a bad spot. It leaves us in a, in a very toxic place where we will do things that we know we shouldn't be doing because we hope that that will gain us approval by any means. And it leads us into some dark places. But what's interesting is that a lot of times these things that we're chasing aren't necessarily bad things. They're not necessarily things that we would say, oh, you were wrong for doing that. In fact, society many times would say, hey, that's a good job, you know. Hey, you are working really hard to improve your job, to get your education, to do whatever you need to do, to to make it to that next level, the American dream. What a great thing. But yet sometimes when we chase those things and make that that our, our identity, where we get our value from, that's where we run into some issues. And so, like I said, this isn't a new thing. And so we're going to be looking at two stories in the Bible where Jesus corrects people in some very interesting and unique ways. And so the first one, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And we're going to be diving into a story 
This is the story of Martha and Mary. This is what the word of the Lord says for us today. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Now, let me tell you, just to be honest, I don't like this story. I don't like this story because I am task-oriented. That is how I'm built. I'm a get-it-done kind of guy. All right? When, you, when I'm given a task, I don't need to make everyone my best friend. Uh, I don't need to, like, make sure I know everyone's name. I don't need to make, you know, all that social stuff. I, that's just not me. I am a put-my-head-down, bury-into-the-work, move-forward, just-get-it-done kind of guy. That's, that is how I am operating, right? I, I remember when I was... Uh, new to youth ministry, I think I was 22 years old, we were doing a fundraiser where I, we were doing yard work for someone. And uh, I, we had like a group of 10, uh, mostly guys, uh, doing the work. And, and we were out there pulling weeds and all this stuff. And we had been out there for like two hours, working hard. And uh, I remember I had to run to Lowe's to grab something, and I was going to be right back. And so I told everyone, you do this, you do this, you do this. And they barked out orders and then took off. And then I came back, and I came back to two of my guys playing basketball in the front yard. And then I walked to the backyard, and everyone was sitting. And I was like, the work isn't done. What are you doing, right? And so I kind of got on everyone's case. And I remember um, one of the elders um, and, and good friend of mine came up to me, and he said, hey, Greg, you got to remember, they're teenagers. I was like, ah, they're like four or five years older, you know, less old than me. Like, what? He's like, yeah, but they're not you. They're not you. They're not built that way. And I'm not saying that this is a good thing. I'm not highlighting myself. There's a lot of negativity, a lot of brokenness with the reason why I am the way I am. And so, but that's just how I'm built. I'm a task-oriented type of guy. Get it done. And so when I look at Martha's story, I completely identify with Martha. I'm like, I get it. I'm with her. Come on, Jesus. Get Mary in there, right? And, and, and yet what we see is Jesus not going there. And we have to think about this from Martha's perspective a bit too. See, Martha is not just wanting to give her best to Jesus. I think that must have been in there somewhere. But uh, for this time, for this period, to host a religious leader in your home would have been a great honor for any family. And not only that, if it was just a rabbi or a Pharisee, that would have been a great honor. But this is Jesus. He's getting popular. He's well known at this point. And so he's kind of a buzz. And you are having the popular preacher, the popular teacher uh, come to your house and you get to play a host. Oh, man, what a great honor for Martha. And so she is going all out. She wants to show everyone that her family can do this, that she is a woman of God who can, who can do everything that God is calling her to do, to host this family, to throw a big thing. This would uh, make people look at her family a bit different, see that they have great honor, that uh, maybe move them up the social ladder of that community a bit. This would have been a great thing for them, great honor. So she's working hard. 
And she looks over as she's working hard, working, working, making sure all the food's placed, all the settings are good, everyone's feeling great. She looks over at her sister at the feet of Jesus. And what do you think she's thinking? I, I, I know what I'd be thinking, right? Must be nice. Must be nice to be just sitting around with Jesus. Huh? I wish I had that ability. I wish I had that kind of money, that kind of time. I wish I had that much help that I could be there with you, right? I, I, I think that she's feeling a little frustrated, and you can read that in her words, right? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work myself? Tell her to help me. You know, it's actually really interesting what she's asking about Jesus here, what she's trying to identify from him. Martha's asking, do you care about me, Jesus? Do you care about the struggle I'm going through right now? Uh, Do you have justice in you? Do you have justice? I mean, look it, I'm working hard. She's just sitting there. Where's the justice? And the last thing she's kind of trying to figure out is, will you do what I tell you to? Can you help me? When I ask you for help, will you do what I ask? And these are Jesus' words. He says, Martha, Martha. Can can you hear the kindness, the love? He could have been like, be quiet, sit down, right? But instead, he says, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You know, Jesus is not willing to join Martha in her crazy. He's not willing to participate in her desire to gain approval from all these outside sources. Because really what that's doing is it is causing her to run further away from him by doing that. By trying to gain her value from something else besides God. And so he's saying, you know what, I'm not going to help you as you run away from me, Martha. I'm not going to help you as you try to put all these distractions in the way of the relationship that you really need. Mary has chosen the one thing that is most important. And that will not be taken away from her. See, and what's amazing about this is he's inviting Martha to join Mary. He's saying, listen, all that stuff's nice. But one thing is most important, and she's chosen it. That's what's most important. And so the invitation to Martha is, have a seat. The invitation's yours. There's only one thing that is necessary, and that is Jesus. Jesus does care for Martha, so much so that he's not willing to add to her addiction of approval. Not help her to chase after this idol of approval from her community or being a great host or building a great name. He does care very much about justice for her. But the only way that she's truly going to understand justice is if, he, if she gets to know him and sits at his feet and understands what he came to do for them. That's the only way that she's truly going to gain and understand justice. And the reality is, is no. He is not going to do what she tells him to do because he is God Almighty. And he does what's best for us. And sometimes that doesn't always look like the thing that we want necessarily, but it is indeed the best thing for us. And that is what he's going to do for her. And so Jesus 
corrects Martha and tells her that she needs to not worry about all that approval from all those outside sources, but instead focus on the one thing that she needs the most, her relationship with Jesus. What's interesting is Martha wasn't sinning like we normally think about it, right? Martha wasn't out like stealing, killing, having adultery. She wasn't caught up in anything like that that people would look at her life and say, you're way off here, you know, you are a sinful person, you need Jesus. Instead, it was just that her focus was a bit off. She was looking to gain her value from an outside source, even though she was doing good things of hosting and trying to do her best for Jesus, but yet she wasn't really doing it for Jesus, she was doing for the approval. Jesus calls her to stop placing her value on earthly things and instead focus on God. Instead, focus herself on, uh, on him alone. God was there in her midst. Like, that's what's crazy. Is she's trying to do all this stuff to gain approval, and yet God himself, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son, is there sitting in her living room. And she's busy in the back, right? Like, you can't do anything better than to, like, bring God to your party, all right? And that's what he's, he's saying. He's like, you only need one thing. You don't need the food. You don't need all this. What every one of your guests need to know and need to have the most is a relationship with God. He said, so don't worry about all that stuff. You can't add anything to Jesus. You just need him. This, this is the word for us as well. So many times we can get focused on things and stuff of this life, even the good stuff in life. And we can miss out on what God's trying to do in our life. In fact, I think sometimes the good stuff is easier to get distracted by us, or we get distracted by the good stuff way more often than the bad stuff. I mean, we can usually identify the bad things in our life. Like, I shouldn't be lying. I shouldn't have that much hate. I shouldn't be doing these things. I shouldn't have these addictions. Those are easier things, not necessarily to kick, I'm not trying to diminish anyone's struggle, uh, but sometimes those are easy, easier things to spot in our lives and say, I need to make a change around this. But also those good things in our life, family, sports, jobs, um, hosting, all these good things that are around in our life can still detract our focus from God. And I think sometimes do very much often distract from our lives. And yet God says, we need to stop placing those good things in the God category because only God deserves to be on the throne of our lives. And when we place any other good thing in that category, he says, get things out of my chair, right? Get those things out of his chair in our life. Now, Martha's not the only one who does this. We're going to look to Mark 10, verses 17 through 24 of another incident of someone who by all means looks like he's doing right. But in fact, God calls him out and says, you need to refocus and realign. And that is the story of the rich ruler. So this is Mark 10, verses 17 through 24. This is what it says. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defy. Uh, you shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, 
All these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus' conversation with this man is so powerful. I mean, this man is checking all the boxes of what it means to be a good and faithful servant of God. I mean, and he, this guy seems like he's living a good life. And, and yet he's not settling where he's at. He wants more of God. So he runs to Jesus, knees, kneels at his, his feet and says, teach me more. I want more of God. I want to build my relationship with God. Help me to understand what I need to do to gain the kingdom of God. I want more of him. And Jesus' first response is actually the answer to his question, if we notice. Uh, he says, you know, you call me good. But only God is good. And, and in a sense, he's using a syllogism of logic, right? The, the idea that, you know, God is good. Jesus is good. Therefore, Jesus must be God if you pieced it together. And, and the man, unfortunately, completely misses it. Completely misses what Jesus is trying to communicate to him, right? And uh, Jesus says, you know, if you want to be right with God, if you want to achieve holiness, well, then you have to keep all the commands. And, and the, the guy who at one point was very humble in front of Jesus and kneeling in front of him uh, no longer is humble. And he, Jesus says, all the commandments, you need to keep them. And he's like, yeah, I'm killing it. Got it. Been doing that since I was a kid. Are you serious? Like, come on, give me something harder. You know, it's kind of the attitude there. And yet Jesus sees that. And doesn't, like, throw him away, right? Like, he doesn't say, come on, you know, let's be real, all right? Let me, I, I'm Jesus, I know everything, so let me call out a few things. Uh, he doesn't do that. What I love about this moment is Jesus looks at him. He sees him. He sees him. He sees who he is, all his faults, all his mistakes, all his miss, uh, missed moments, all those things. He sees this person in front of him, and it says he loves him. He loves him. I love that. It's not, oh, I love who you're going to be. He loves him at that moment. I think that's a good word for us today. I've had several conversations over the last couple of weeks of people who have been saying, I just feel like I'm missing it. I feel like I'm messing up. I'm not doing what God calls me to do. And I, I, I've just been keep reminding people, do you know God loves you? Even right now, even what you've done just yesterday, you're telling me what you just did this last week. With that, even with that, God loves who you are right now. And he knew that you were going to mess up. And he knows that you're going to mess up again. And yet he chooses to love you. He sees you and he loves you. There's nothing that we hide from God. It's not like we're like, well, I'm just going to put my Sunday face on. And then the rest of the week I get to do myself. He sees every moment, everything that you've ever done. And he loves you. Let me tell you, Sunrise. If you're here today, God loves you. He loves you and he wants to do more in your life. He wants to have a good work in you and says, it, Jesus sees him, sees this man. He sees everything going on in his life and he pokes that one thing that's truly blocking him. 
says, one thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything that you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And verse 22 says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus had poked the one thing that this man had built his entire life on. Being Mr. Success. Being the one who had it all together. Other uh, accounts of this gospel uh, is titled the rich young ruler. Right? This is a man who is chasing after God. He's, you said, he said, you know, by his own account, he's been trying to follow the Jewish uh, law. He's been trying to be a faithful Jew. He's been trying to do everything God's told him to do, the best of his knowledge, the best of his abilities. He, he has a good job. He's made a lot of wealth, which would show the blessing of God on his life. And he's doing everything that he knows how to do. But yet he's somehow still built up his self-character on his wealth. That he's a can get it done himself kind of guy. He will achieve it himself. And what Jesus pokes is not just the wealth, not just the money, because honestly, this guy, if he's been this successful, could probably give it all away and remake it himself. I think maybe what Jesus is poking even more is the come follow me. Because now... What this guy is knowing, what he's going to have to do, is he's going to have to give up all his money, but he's also going to have to give up his status in the community. He's no longer going to have this title of the rich ruler. Instead, he will just be a disciple of Jesus. He will just be another follower. He won't have a title himself, something that he built up. He will just be another one of those guys. And he doesn't know if he's willing to give up his status, his friendships, what will his family say? These are all questions that had to be swirling around in this man's life. See, he had fallen in love with this success story that he had built for himself. And yet Jesus invites him to give up his story and to accept this new story that truly is what he needs. But the man walks away sad because he had fallen in love with what he has built. This man had God's son right in front of him. The God, and God offering him a place in his kingdom. To be one of the disciples, to be at Jesus' side right there, listening to him, learning from him, understanding the kingdom of God. We would have known his name 2,000 years later. But instead, he just has the title that he gave himself, the rich ruler. His identity, his self-worth was all wrapped up in the things of this earth, so much so that he couldn't grasp what Jesus had for him. Jesus, the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, was right there talking to him, inviting him to come closer to him. Yet he walks away. The man would not, the man would not follow him. Sometimes it is the good things that can take us away from growing in Jesus. And again, none of these people, not Martha, not this man, necessarily were sinning in the sense that we normally think of it. But their focus, their character was misaligned. You know, I think this guy, if you would have asked him, or Martha, where's your identity built? They both would have said, on God. They knew the answers. They knew the answers, and, and it seems like they both were doing things in their life, right, to, to chase after God. But their character was wrong. This leads uh, me to, to bring up this idea that God doesn't want to just work in our minds 
or just through our actions. But God wants to work holistically, holistic sanctification, where God wants to transform our minds, our character, and our actions. Head, heart, hands, right? It's our head, everything that we're thinking, everything that we're processing, that God could be a part of that. Our heart, our motivations, our character would be driven by God, and our actions, the things that we do every day, each would have the essence of God a part of it would see the fingerprints of God in everything that we do. That's holistic sanctification. It's this idea that God is transforming us all together, every aspect of our life. And that is the problem with each of these stories. Martha, her, her character, her motivations were off, even though her actions were good. This rich young ruler as well, his character was off, even though his thinking, and it seems his actions were in the right spot but his character was off. Both of these guys, uh, Martha and this man, were wanting their approval from the outside source. Their value was based on those things and not on God. And so the big question for us today is are we willing to stand before God and ask him what's blocking us? What's that thing? What is even that good thing in our life that we need to, to maybe give up or give to God, or to, to hand over, or to just release control over? What is it that thing in our life today that we need to give over to God to help us to get to that next level of following him? To stop getting our value and approval, our self-worth from outside sources, instead understand that Jesus' death on the cross provides all the approval that we possibly could need from God in our life. We cannot add to Jesus what Jesus has done in our life, but instead we can live differently because of what Jesus has done in our life. You cannot add to anything that God has done. You know, it, it's like this idea that Jesus talks about in Matthew uh, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, when he talks about the kingdom of God and how we should be reacting to that. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for, a fine, for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had to buy it. What, I, what, what this is talking about is, you know, wherever you're in life, when God shows him up in your life, when he shows you who he is, there's not like this moment where we want to hang on to our past life and say, well, this stuff we want to bring with us. He says, give it all to me. Sell out for me. And, and what's amazing is when you do that, you will be filled with joy. As you just completely say, uh, who I was? No, that's not me anymore. I, I, am, I am new in God. And, and you find this new transformed life and he comes into your life and he, he says, you are forgiven and I am making you new. I am transforming you into this new creation. And yes, you are forgiven of all the sins. And yes, we're still going to have to work on a few things, but that doesn't define you. Your mistakes don't define you. You are not that person anymore. That is the gift. That is the great pearl. That is the treasure. And we can get rid of all the other stuff. And we do so joyfully, not trying to hang on to our past life. That is the joy that God offers us to exchange those bad things, those good things for God things. And what's amazing is you'll see how he redeems all those things when they align perfectly. 
when God's on his throne, those good things, oh man, they're so much better. There's nothing better than going to a Christian home when God's at the center of the party, when we can pray, where we can just hang out with God's people, where he can be glorified. Man, note if that was Martha's party, where Jesus could have stood up and talked and, and she could have heard him. Man, that would have been good. There's nothing better when God is at the center of our lives. Now, he's going to call us at times to take that next step in our life that might be, hand this over a little bit more to me. Forgive that person. You know, you need to ask forgiveness for this thing that you did to that person. It's time. And he's going to kind of poke us. See, Jesus was doing it there, and now today we have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, and he does that exact same thing. You have God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in you if you are a Christian. That is, Jesus says, is better for us than him being right next to us. That is amazing. And so there are going to be moments where he's going to poke you and say, it's time for you to take that next step. To stop living this way, stop doing this, stop trying to have control, trust me more. And maybe it's going to affect you the way that you think. Maybe it's a class you need to take to transform your mind, to get in better thought. Maybe it's diving into his word more intentionally, grow in your, your reading of the Bible, or maybe it's listening to more sermons or, or listening to podcasts or listening to any of those kind of things where you're learning in your head and he's transforming the way that we think. Maybe it's your character that he's going to work in. and He's going to poke and say, it's time for us to work on this thing that you keep doing and you need to transform that. You need to talk to an elder at the church. You need to talk to uh, some, a community group, maybe the men's group or the women's group, and bring this up and say, you need prayer around this. You need people to hold you accountable to this. It's time that you give that up. Or maybe he's saying, you know, it's time to get to work. It's time to get into this game and start serving your community. Start caring for those people around you. God's going to work in many different ways. And what's amazing about the Holy Spirit is he's speaking to you right now. And I want to invite you over these next two songs. We're going to have two songs of worship here in a minute to just lift it up to God. Say, God, what do I need to do to grow closer to you? I open up my mind, my ears, my heart to you, God. Help me hear what that next step needs to be where I can stop trying to gain my approval from all these outside sources and instead just gain my approval from what you've done already to accept the approval that you've given me. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have this time of prayer and worship together. God, I thank you so much that your work is done on the cross, but yet you're still working in each of our hearts today. That you never put us on the shelf and say, well, I'll get to you later. But right here, right now, you have something good in store for each one of us. God, I pray right now that you would help us to just block out the distractions of the world, to ignore the notifications on our phones, to uh, just help us to hear what you want us to do today. What step of faith are you calling each one of us to make? And holy God, help us by your power alone to actually make that step. To, to grow in any aspect that you're calling us to grow. Thank you that you love us, that you see us and you love us, and that you are good and you are God. And it's your holy name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.